3: Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Let's Talk Money here on 810 and one oh three one WGY. I'm Ryan Boucher. I'm a certified financial planner with Boucher Financial Group, and I'll be your co-host today. I'm joined alongside my colleague, Frank Fazio, who's our portfolio strateg- strategist with Boucher. And how are you doing, Frank? Very good today. Thank you, Ryan. It's good to have you here. And uh, we have a great show lined up, and we appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to, to tune in today. So, there's a lot to discuss, but before we get into it, let's uh let's get our phone lines out there and the phone numbers where you can reach us. Phone lines are open. Give us a call if you have any questions relating to your portfolio, uh, some retirement planning, what's going on in the economy, what's going on with the upcoming election cycle, with the Federal Reserve, anything on your mind. If you have questions, give us a call. You can reach us 1-800-talk-wgy. That's or from your cell phone, you give us a call at star WGY, that's star 949. So like I said, Frank, we have a ton to get into today. I want to talk about what's going on with the U.S. stock market, what we're seeing. Uh, We're just off of all-time highs. We kind of had a pretty much flat week this week, but there's a lot of things in the news and a lot of things that could impact the market from now to the end of the year, so I want to get into that. Talk a little bit about the U.S. economy. We've had about a quarter of, of public companies release their earnings for the third quarter. Get into that a little bit. Some economic details and, and numbers coming out on wages, retail sales. Also talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve and what their time horizon is for a for rise in interest rates. Also talk about the election and and if we feel you know what's going on in the current cycle and from now till November 8th is going to impact the markets in any specific way. You know, we'll get into some international stuff. The The emerging markets have, have taken off this year and, and they've been a strong performer worldwide. And uh, some, I don't know if you saw it in, in the Wall Street Journal this week, but they had a special called The Pacifist and they talked about, uh, you know, passive investing versus active investing. And, and we talk a lot about ETFs and Comparing them to mutual funds and, and our our outlook and, and our philosophy on investing. So we'll kind of get into that a little bit and just get into some of the points that they've made and, and why we feel that uh, strongly about ETFs and, and how we use them. So there's a lot there, a lot to get into, but why don't we start off by talking about earnings and earnings season. So we've been we've been talking a lot with clients about it, a lot internally internally. And, uh, you know, so far it's off to a pretty good start.
2: Right, right. I mean, there's been a, a very big focus uh, in the financial press about earnings um, because what we've gone through here is, is five consecutive quarters of declining earnings. So, you know, one of the theories out there is, you know, are we, are we headed towards a recession or at least an earnings recession? Um, you know, and a lot of that declining earnings initially was, was driven by a, a, a strong dollar um, as well as uh, declining oil prices. Um, So, you know, we've seen those headwinds recently subside. Oil's been trading between $40 and and $50 a barrel uh, fairly consistently this year. Um, And a lot of the the bigger oil companies or, or, you know, some of those larger companies tied to commodities in general, um, you know, have have essentially learned to be profitable in in the current environment. You know, they've they've cut staff. um, They've increased technology. Um, they've reduced their dividends. So th- those companies now can, can handle the, the current environment that we're in. Um, we've also seen the dollar kind of stabilize here versus other major currencies. Um, so it, it's one of the things that, that, that we're really focused on is, you know, it, it, now that these headwinds have subsided, um, you know, will earnings continue to decline? And, and so far, we've, we've had 116 of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 report, and over 80% of them have, have surprised to the upside. Um, we've seen uh, profitability or profits increase almost seven percent uh, with these companies. So, you know, if this trend continues, um, it's looking like the the five consecutive quarterly streak of declining earnings is, is going to end. Um, so, you know, we're obviously very focused on that. This week coming up is a is a big week for the market because you have almost a third of the companies uh, reporting. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens over over the course of this
3: week. Yeah, and you, you brought up some good points. And, and 2015 was, was a good year to, to talk about in terms of some of the headwinds that we experienced. And I think, I think some investors will at times equate you know, some of the slowdown in earnings with a recessionary environment. And while that can be the case, in the case that we've seen over the last year and a half or so, it's really been a couple of factors that have really slowed down earnings and, and proven, you know, if you look at an index, Seeing earnings at a at a loss year over year quarter over quarter whatever it may be, but you know two of those huge factors were strengthening dollar and the price of oil. If you strip out some of these energy companies and and the earnings that they're making, you know the S and P index is really operating at a earnings growth as opposed to an earning, earnings loss. But with the decline in oil prices, going from at one point over a hundred dollars a barrel to you know I think the beginning of this year they bottomed out around 30 or so i mean it's a huge difference and it makes a huge impact on on those earnings Uh, the other thing is the strengthening dollar when we have a strong dollar profits are going to be impacted by overseas sales and it's almost about 50 percent of s&p 500 companies are are gaining revenue overseas and that's going to have a really really big impact on their bottom line so with that let's go to the phones real quick we have rob in albany rob are you there
2: Oh, yes,
4: I am. Good good afternoon, and thank you.
3: Thank you for listening, and thanks for calling us. Great
4: show. Uh, In terms of, like, a bond allocation, we currently have a a double line, a total return bond fund, and the uh, Vanguard total bond market index, which is probably more of, like, a midterm. And uh, I was thinking about getting into that Oppenheimer, Rochester short-term municipal bond fund, and adding in maybe a floating rate fund, do you think that would be a good allocation given the interest rate prospects?
2: Well, you're know, you're looking right now at about you know about a four to a five year average duration, maybe a little bit uh, closer to three years with, with double line three three and a half years. Um, so you're you're positioned right now what, right around what we call the the belly of the curve. Um with the Oppenheimer fund, um, you know from what I've seen in the past with their strategy, they tend to be a little bit more focused on below investment grade, um, you know municipals, um, which in the current environment, as long as we we stay out of a recession, should be okay. Um, you know you certainly want to be focused on on duration right now. Um, you know if the market sells off, if if we do get some you know the the earnings environment, Kind of pendulum swings the other way, and we see some weakness in the in the back half of the company's reporting. You know that that might be detrimental. At the end of the day, you know it's you got to be comfortable with that the credit risk that you have. The floating rate fund, you know, floating rates an interesting space. We've we've held an investment grade floating rate um, ETF in our portfolios. Um, you know, it's it's a very good interest rate hedge, but on the investment grade side, the, just the yields aren't there. Um, you know, if you're looking for yield and floating rate exposure, you've, you've got to take on credit risk. And again, that's, that's something that can be volatile um, if the either earnings weakens or, you know, we see the economic data or economic environment weaken. Um, but, you know, purely from a yield play, you know, you're certainly going to pick up yield relative to cash, relative to investment grade. It's giving you added diversification versus the investment grade intermediate duration exposure that you have with your Vanguard and, and double line fund. So you know, I don't see any major issues with those two funds. You just got to be comfortable with the uh, with the credit risk.
4: Mm, yeah, that one ticker, the LTNYX, NYX, that seems to be short term in the in the Oppenheimer family for the muni bond. So maybe that would help too. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help and have a great day. All
3: right. you, you as well, to, Rob. Thanks for the call. And Rob brings up some good points. I mean, this is an area that we spend a lot of time talking within our investment committee and. You know we we have a big allocation to to fixed income in, in some of our portfolios. You know whether you know, the way we manage portfolios, we have five risk based portfolios. We start with our growth, which is eighty percent allocated to equities, twenty percent to fixed income, alternatives, and cash, and it goes all the way down to a capital preservation, which is thirty percent to equities, seventy percent to fixed income, alternatives, and cash. And so we're talking about fixed income all the time, and especially in this environment where we're looking at, you know, we brought up the Federal Reserve and, and the possibility of a rising interest rate decision coming in December. I don't think we'll see it just before the election. I think that would be too much volatility heading into the uh, election cycle. But with uh, December, we're, we're expecting a strong possibility of, of a rise in interest rates. And so what do you do in that environment? I mean, we've had a 30 plus year bull market in Bonds with lowering interest rates, and with that, you know, generally speaking, as interest rates lower, your market value of a bond will go up. But now that we're going to see a rising interest rate environment, it's very real possibility that market value of your bond um, investments could go down. And so, how do you go about positioning yourself? Because it plays a critical role in any any. Portfolio, but it's going to be a much different environment than we've probably seen over the last 30, 35 years.
2: Right, and, and it's a great point. I mean, the the expectation that we have for for bonds or for fixed income, you know, we're not expecting the, the same level of return when you think about it from a total return standpoint, which means yield plus appreciation. Well, you know, as Ryan just alluded to, we've we're kind of nearing the end here of a you know a 30 plus year uh, uh, bull market for uh, for fixed income. Because arguably, you know, how much how much lower can rates go? Um, we did see the ten-year Treasury hit you know almost one point three percent this year, um, a historic low. You know, it's it's rebounded. Yields have come up, uh, especially more recently as we've neared uh, the decision point for the Fed of of raising interest rates. Um, at the end of the day, we don't think higher rates are necessarily a bad thing. We're not afraid of fixed income. Um, but our caller, Rob, you know, brings up a, a good point. You want to make sure you're diversified. You want to have some exposure to what we call the front end of the curve or, or short-term bonds, which are going to have less interest rate sensitivity, um, as well as your intermediate term bonds. And yes, you may see the principal value decline, but at the end of the day, actually rising interest rates, as long as it's... A little bit more systematic and, and not shocking to the system in terms of a large magnitude movement is actually good. Um, it, it's good for investors. It's good for savers. You know, right now, you know, the fact that we're getting only one point seven, one point eight percent on a ten year Treasury bond, that's you know, we're we're pretty close to that that historic low. Uh, historically, you'd you'd see yields in the four to five percent for a ten year bond. Um, you know, we don't think we're going to get there overnight. Um, but if we can get back in, into the two to three percent range, it's actually a good thing long term because that means the the market is expecting the U.S. economy uh, to grow a, at those levels over the long term. Um, it, it's what we call a steepening yield curve effect. Um, and a- With Lucky
0: Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: steeper yield curve is, is typically good for the economy. Um, it means companies are earning, uh, means the economy is growing, uh, people are working, people are spending. Uh, you know, There's a lot of positives to that. Um, so again, when we look at our fixed income, we want to make sure we're broadly diversified. And yes, you may see that principal value decline in the near term if rates rise. But at the end of the day, the nice thing about bonds is you recoup that in the form of, of higher interest payments. So that loss gets recouped over time.
3: That's absolutely right. So, Rob, thank you again for that call. It kicked off a really good discussion. Anyone else out there that has a question, please give us a call, 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. Or from your cell phone, give us a call, star WGY. That's star 949. So with that, let's take a quick commercial break. I'm Ryan Boucher. He's Frank Fazio. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on 810 and one oh three one WGY. and welcome back best to and welcome back to Let's Talk Money. I uh, jumped the gun a little bit on that. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go into uh the uh, further song with that. So I apologize, but you're listening to Let's Talk Money on 810 1031 WGY. I'm Ryan Boucher and I'm joined by my colleague Frank Fazio, and we're talking a lot about, you know, what's going on in the markets, what's going on with the economy. Uh, what's the Federal Reserve doing? Rob started us off with a great question on on fixed income, and I think I think that discussion has its roots in all right. What's the Federal Reserve doing? And what's the Federal Reserve doing is coming to play with what's the economy doing. And so right now, you know, we're we're focusing a lot of our time and energy when we're looking at the portfolios and having our discussions as to all right, what is going on, and and how's the economy looking. And you know, so far we we talked about it a little bit, but Earnings have been pretty strong for for the first uh, week that we had earnings come out. Uh, I think Frank, you talked about we've had about a quarter of the companies report, and eighty percent are yep. beating their their expectations, which is great. But aside from just earnings and and how these corporations are doing, there's also been some pretty good figures in in the economic data that's come out the last few weeks that should support the ability for the Fed to finally raise interest rates. Right.
2: And and that's, you know, this is really the the linchpin of of our outlook, both from a market outlook perspective and and the economic outlook. Um, You know, we've seen a very robust uh, labor market, um, both from, you know, average job growth over 100,000 jobs per month um, which is one of the things that the Fed is focused on. Um, you know that's that's key that's a key level for them um, to maintain job growth and maintain an economic uh, an, an economic growing environment. Um, but more importantly than just jobs created, you know they're also focused on wages. and wages have been steadily rising, albeit at a, at a small pace. Um, but that rising wage growth um, is a leading indicator towards towards inflation. And right now, um, you know, we're starting to see uh, signs of inflation um, of, of picking up. And, and that's actually a good thing. Um, and I say inflation with caution because, you know, a lot of our longer-term listeners, you know, they think back to the, uh, the, the 80s um, and seeing, uh, you know, kind of interest rates in the, in the double-digit range. We're not expecting that because think about it now. We're, we're coming off of historic lows and, and almost a deflationary environment. Um, But the latest CPI readings are are looking at about a a 1.5% pickup in year-over-year inflation, um, and the Fed is targeting 2%. Um, So that's just another factor that they're looking at that gives them uh, you know added comfort to, to raise interest rates the economy is starting to grow prices are starting to rise across the board not just in core um, or headline you know really in all of the the pockets that they look at um, we are seeing signs of inflation ticking up here so it's something that, that they're focused on along with maintaining full employment. Um, so you know some of their goals are, are coming to fruition now um, which again gives them uh, you know a little bit extra comfort here to raise rates at some point this year. Um, latest numbers that I've seen, markets been pricing in about a sixty to seventy percent expectation of a rise in rates in December. Um, and Ryan brought up the point before; doesn't seem likely that a November rate hike will happen because
3: that meeting is right before the election. Absolutely, and we talk a lot about. All right, what's 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 it going to take for the Fed to finally get into this, get to the point that they're ready to ra- raise interest rates? And we've you know before the year started they anticipated four such cycles of of raising interest rates so you know maybe once every 3 months and we're getting into the last 2 months of the year without a uh, uh, increase in, in the interest rate number and so we're sitting back we're we're ready for this to happen i think you know, there's an element of it and especially when you're watching the news and you see how the markets are reacting you know for some reason the markets are still reacting negatively when good economic data comes out and there's some inclination that the Fed is deciding to raise interest rates and the market takes off when when you know even negative or flat data comes out and the Fed is is making their dovish statements that they're going to keep interest rates where they're at. You know, why that would be, I think it's I think it's just the over you know it's it's the overreaction to what's going on in the news cycle. We don't think even though we see it in the short term and you know maybe that hour or that day the markets are selling off when when they when they report that you know maybe the rates are going to rise. In the long term, it's really going to be a good thing for a number of factors. You know, if if they're raising interest rates, they're saying, "All right, the economy's strong. There's a positive outlook. All right, we should have some room to grow." Historically speaking, if you look back to any rising interest rates environments in the past, you know, at the rates that we're at right now, they should actually move in line with with the equity markets and the equity markets. Should go up if we see rising interest rate environment. That may change once rates get to a certain number. Uh, historically speaking, that number is right around five percent, but we're under one percent at this point. And so there's a lot there's a lot of room, I think, to grow. And and we've we've been in a bull market, you know, since the beginning of two thousand nine. But the growth in our country has been so slow that I don't think anyone is sitting there saying that all right we've we've reached capacity or we're we're at the full extent of, of what this economy can do because even though it's gone on for a long time it's been at such small incremental growth numbers that there feels like there's still some room to grow plus the fact that there's a lot of cash on the sideline as well
2: right both um you know both for the retail investors and and corporations i mean we're still sitting at historic levels of cash on the sideline and and Ryan brings up a great point of you know, if you think about this recovery coming out of the financial crisis, you know we're we're nearing the point where it's it's going to become one of the longest duration recoveries, um, but we're still not quite at the the level the magnitude of recovery that we've seen. Uh, you know, post other other major recessions. You know, when we think back to two thousand one, two thousand two, um, you know, coming off the the, the tech bubble. Um, you know, when we think back to the the early nineties, um, you know, we just haven't seen that that level of growth, and that was because it was such a large hole. That not just the US economy, but the global economy was digging themselves out of with with the financial crisis. Um, So, you know, we still feel reasonably good about a a low probability of recession, uh, and we're seeing it play through in the numbers. Um, You know, this week we had retail sales come out, Um, they continue to be uh, very strong numbers. Um, you know, um, we, we're seeing a, a fundamental shift within retail sales into, you know, kind of more online or e-commerce, um, you know, which which we expect to, to continue. Um, and that's being helped by rising wages, right? It still comes back to that that labor market. If we continue to see uh, wages increase, you know, that's, that's going to help drive the economy because, you know, we've, we've said it before. We've put it out there in our newsletters. You know, consumer spending accounts for almost seventy percent of, of the U.S. GDP, so it's something that that we are very focused on. You know, the housing market numbers have been mixed. Um, you know, the the bearish person will look at the uh, declining housing starts this past month and say, "Wow, you know, something's fundamentally wrong there." However, when you dig through the numbers and see it was mostly multifamily construction that declined, and that single-family homes actually increased eight percent, you look at that and say, "All right, so housing isn't and it not as bad as it seems," and and we're seeing more and more signs of first-time homebuyers. Um, who've been sitting on the sideline, unable to get funding, un- unable to get mortgages, now are entering the market, right? They, they have, they've been saving, they have the cash on the sideline, banks are willing to lend more, um, especially with the prospect of, of higher interest rates, makes banks more profitable, um, makes the overall financial sector a little bit more healthy, Um, So, you know, there's a lot of positives that we've been seeing on on the economic data side, Um, even on the industrial side. It was a fairly weak summer for manufacturing, um, but we're starting to see uh, signs of, of, of that improving. Um, you know, so all told, if you look at the the, the last run, the uh, last estimate of uh, second quarter GDP, uh, first quarter was uh, or first estimate was very weak. Those numbers were revised higher, um, and now this week coming up, we'll get the, uh, the the first estimate of the of the third quarter. And the expectation is for the economy to be growing somewhere between two to three percent in, in the in the second half of the year. We haven't seen anything come out recently that would. Uh, you know, change that outlook. So, um, you know, we, we do feel that the economy is starting to pick up here um, and, and can handle higher interest rates, which is why we think that the Fed is going to be raising rates at, in their December meeting.
3: That's absolutely right. And when you go back to, you you know, sometimes these these retail sales numbers will come out, and you talked about digging in and getting more information. You know, if you see a, a, a bad quarter or bad earnings from a Macy's, a JCPenney, you know, these are those traditional brick-and-mortar stores that, you know, quite frankly, their earnings and their their growth has been pretty flat or and or down recently. But when you look at some of the online retailers, that's where you really—that makes up such a big portion of consumer spending at this point that it's really important to look at what, you know, between online and brick-and-mortar and what that full number is because— there's such a discrepancy in how the online retailers are growing compared to the traditional brick and mortar. So with that, you know, we have a lot to talk about. If you have any questions out there, give us a call, one 5949 Or on a cell phone, give us a call, star W G Y, that's star nine four nine. And you know, we've talked about strength in retail, strength wage increases, the labor market tightening you know we're not seeing the same growth rate in new jobs created but I don't think we need to compare to how much we were growing in years past because we were coming out of such a um, deep recession and we really needed to create those jobs so that you know sometimes a, a number come out now and maybe last year we we're averaging over 200 job starts and and now I think the latest number was around 150 160 and you know there's some some fear that that the the job growth isn't going to be there well it probably won't be there at the same same amount, but you know it's still consistently strong and, and good for us. So with that, we're going to take a short break for the news, but stay with us. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on 810 and one oh three one WGY. And welcome back to Let's Talk Money, and thank you for tuning in. We're on 810, 1031 WGY. I'm Ryan Boucher. I'm joined by my colleague, Frank Fazio. We've had a great show so far. We've had some... A good call talking about fixed income and in your bond allocation in your portfolio talked about the US economy lucky land casino asking
0: people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess Aha, in my dentist's office
3: What do we expect? What do we see happening with the Federal Reserve and interest rates, which, you yeah, know, that's going to have a big impact on, on investments and, and your overall allocation. And so we're here. Our phone lines are open. So give us a call, 1-800-825-5949. Or on a cell phone, give us a call, star 949. So, Frank, talked a lot about what's going on in the U.S., what's going on with, with interest rates. But talk a little bit about um, international news and international equities. And, you know, main point really being is the purpose of diversification. I mean, you can go back over the past few years and see where, you know, maybe emerging markets, maybe international developed markets have hurt your portfolio. And, you know, we've I've had calls with clients and asking, you know, why are we still invested here? Why are we still invested there when you have one bad year, two bad years? But, You know, I think emerging markets, especially this year, is a good indication of why, you know, it's hard to fully get out of a certain asset class because at some point, you know, it's going to be that reversion back to the mean. And, and, you know, maybe one year the U.S. is going to outperform, but the next it could be international. And We're seeing that develop right now with with emerging markets.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's a a great point because, you know, at the end of the day, diversification matters. And and we don't know when, when one style is going to be in favor over the other. Um, and and you know, we fielded a lot of questions from our clients. You know, why do you own international? Why do you have emerging markets? Um, you know, especially earlier in the year when emerging markets were weak and, and international equities were weak.
3: Um, China, and, China was blowing up right. and, you know, the whole the world economy was going down. We were heading for, our other, for the next recession. Uh, that was kind of a lot of the headlines from what I remember the first few weeks of uh, 2016. Oh yeah,
2: then you fast forward to to June and July, and you know obviously the surprising vote out of Britain to to leave the EU, the uncertainty coming out of that, and and nobody wanted to own international equities. However. Even with some of that volatility in the early part of July, if you look at, you know, the the second half of the year so far, international equities have have outperformed uh, the S&P 500 by almost 2%. Um, And then if you look beyond international and look at emerging markets, um, you know, that difference grows to about 6%. And emerging markets have been one of the best areas to be invested in uh, this year so far in in, in 2016. And and it was a very unloved uh, category, um, you know, as we
3: hit the beginning of the year. So let's hold that thought real quick. We're going to go back to the phone lines. We have Gary in Schenectady. Gary, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you for calling.
5: That's that's good. That's good. Um, you've given us a lot of good investing information, which is great. I always, I always love hearing your perspectives on everything. But I have a Social Security question, too. Um, of course, we did not have a cost of living increase in Social Security last year, but I am very sure that both of the last two years, the information on Social Security cost of living or lack thereof was out by late September. This is late October, and I haven't heard a word about whether there will be or not be, have you?
3: Oh, you know what? that news actually just came out this week. Uh, we saw saw those figures come out. It looks like it's going to be about a point three percent increase per month next year, and you know it's it's uh, you know pretty small when you look at you know inflation numbers and and even what the inflation numbers are with the Fed reports. You know any consumer that's going to the grocery store or or shopping i I feel feels it more than just that one and a half one point seven five percent that they're saying, but yeah for next year the social security benefit increase looks like it's about point three percent
5: oh goodness okay well, thank you so much for that information
3: absolutely thanks for the call
5: you bet
3: so gary brings i mean it's a good it's a good question and it, it's a good area to discuss because when you when you look at that you know for the average recipient of social security, that's going to be about a four dollar increase per month next year so Pretty minimal when, when you look at what's going on in in, in the world and, and everything else going up in, in prices. And, and we're kind of reaching that 2% threshold of, of what the Fed is looking for. But, yeah, you know, this past year we had no increase in Social Security benefits. Uh, next year it's going to be pretty minimal. So, you know, we, we work a lot with our clients in terms of developing a plan and how to take Social Security. I had a meeting just the other day with a client talking about different ways to maximize social security and for those of you that are you know nearing retirement and have some options in terms of when and how to choose social security you know give our offices a call 720-3333 call your financial advisor and and sit through and and do a a full financial plan um, to really try to maximize your benefits in retirement you know we we do that with we offer it to all of our clients um, some take it, some don't, but we do work with them on doing financial planning. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, Lou Piro, before our show earlier, was talking about it too, in terms of, you know, you really want to bring your team together. And as we're approaching the end of the year, right now is really a good time to start doing some planning, whether it's for taxes, whether it's for your investments and with your investment advisor, whether it's estate planning and working with your attorney. You know, we try to quarterback a lot of these discussions with with different point people. You know, we don't have any attorneys or CP- – I'm a CPA, but I do not practice or, or do tax returns. But we try to quarterback those meetings with with our clients' CPAs, with our clients' attorneys. And, you know, it's an important time to get all that together and really start planning for, you know, the next year, or next five to ten years. But when it comes to planning and Social Security, I mean, it can have a big impact on, on your overall – financial success as you get into retirement
2: yeah and I think the key too is you know social security is, is supplemental income but it's nice because it's you're not you don't have to worry about the stock market um, you don't have to worry about external factors you know impacting the cash flow that you receive from social Security but it's one piece of, of the puzzle that we look at for our clients that are in retirement in terms of how are they generating cash how are they living off of their portfolio um, you know a certain percentage of clients have a pension that's great pensions are, are, are going away. More and more companies are doing away with them because, you know, we, we've seen it through the uh, the latest, you know, the last recession, um, you know, those can be uh, extremely detrimental to, uh, to balance sheets. So more and more companies have been doing away with pensions. Um, so that guaranteed source of income, you tend to just see it from Social Security or things like annuities. Um, you know, so it's 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 a great question to understand, you know, kind of that cost of living adjustment. that yeah, may mean you need to draw more off off of your portfolio. And again, it comes back to, to interest rates. You know, rising interest rates will actually help those people, you know, help the people living off of their portfolio. So the financial press likes to make uh, you know a lot of negative headlines with, with rising interest rates and generate a lot of fear, but at the end of the day, you're gonna be earning more on on the on the fixed income portion of your portfolio. Um, so, we do think that that's going to be a good thing you know, over the long term.
3: Yeah. So, we thank Gary for that call. Any other listeners out there that have questions, give us a call, 1 800 825 5949. That's 1 800 825 5949. You know, talking about Social Security, actually, it makes me think a little bit about, uh, you know, this election cycle right now and how one of the areas that the two candidates are not talking about, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, I have a good stat for you. So, Social Security was first put into play back in uh, 1935. There was 42 workers putting in for every one person receiving Social Security. So that's a 42 to 1 um, ratio. Right now, that ratio is down to 3.2 workers contributing to Social Security to every one person taking out. So pretty scary stats. And so, you know, someone like myself, who's in their young 30s, Frank, I know you're, you're pretty close in age to me. You know, we're thinking about, you know, some these areas that are going to impact us for the long run, and, uh, you know, I really wish they were talking about this. So um, that's a – you know, we're going to go back to – <laughs> before we get more into a political discussion, why don't we go back to the phone lines. We have Jill and Troy. Jill, good afternoon. Thank you for calling.
0: Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I've got a question about an annuity. Um, I'm in the process of being awarded an annuity as a result of a divorce agreement. The annuity was not opened in my name, it was opened only in my husband's name, so it's going to have to be transferred to me um, in some way. Um, I personally really didn't want it, but uh, I didn't really have a choice. It was basically awarded to me via the court. Um, I would rather be able to have its value in cash and then invest it in some other way, but I'm afraid there would be significant tax consequences if I try to um, basically close it, take the cash, and then do something else with it. So I'm not sure what the best strategy is for dealing with this um, annuity that I'm going to be seeing before too much longer. Its value, I think, is about $54,000, and at the moment I'm 58 and a half years old and I'm still working. Okay.
2: All right. So, a couple of things that they're going to need to consider. Number one, you know, how long ha- was your husband, uh, ex-husband, invested in the annuity? Um, because there's going to be a surrender charge. Okay. Right. And usually, those surrender charges drop off right around year seven, maybe year eight. Um, so, if it's been a long-term holding, you, you probably don't have to worry about that. Uh, the second aspect to it is, you know, what was the we call it the basis? But what was what was actually the the, the initial purchase amount? Uh, for that annuity, because what you would get is you'd, you'd get a return of premium. Um, and, and only the gain above what was put in would be taxed at, at ordinary income rates. Um, however, if it's held in a tax deferred account, Um, which a lot of times is is, is what we see with these annuities um, to generate another source of income. Like we said before, when we're talking about social security, if it's in a tax deferred account or an IRA account, um, you can roll that into an IRA and you won't, um, you know, you won't have to worry about the the taxability of that transfer. Um, So you really, you just need to know what, what, how the account is titled. Is it taxable versus tax deferred? How long were they invested in it? And what was the actual uh, initial investment amount um, and, and that, you know, that, that's what you can take to your accountant and, and help, you know, help from a, from a tax planning standpoint in terms of pulling money out and going into you know something that's going to give you more diversification, most likely lower fees and, and just give you more control.
0: Terrific! Thank you so much. I appreciate your help.
3: You're welcome. Hey, thanks, Joe. That was a great call and, and great question. Any other listeners? If you have a question, give us a call one 5949 that's 1 800 825 5949. So, with that, why don't we take another commercial break? Stay with us. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on 810 and 1031 WGY. Woo-hoo. Welcome back to Let's Talk Money on 810 and 1031 WGY. I'm Ryan Boucher, and I'm joined alongside my colleague, Frank Fazio, and our phone lines are open here, so give us a call. We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have or concerns you have um, with relation to your retirement planning, financial planning, investments, whatever it may be. Give us a call, 1-800-825-5949. That's 1-800-825-5949. So, Frank, I think, what do we have left? About three weeks until the election, just over three weeks of the election. And, you know, one of the most frequent questions I'm getting from clients, whether calls, emails, whatever it may be, is, you know, what are your expectations for the election and what do you see happening? You know, are you making any changes with the portfolio? Are you nervous? Are we, you know, what are we doing and, and how are we treating Um, because this is, let's face it, this is an election cycle, pretty much unlike one we've, we've ever seen. And, and, you know, at this point, hopefully we don't see another one going in this direction, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. These are two candidates. So, uh, that's what we're left with. But with that, you know, how are, what are we doing with the portfolio and are we, you know, are we making any major changes and and how do we view the election and how do we view, you know, the outcome of the election and and how it may uh, affect the portfolios? Sure. Well, uh, you know, from the first part of it is we're not making any major changes to the
2: portfolio. Um, You know, historically speaking, you know, you might see a a little bit better return directly uh, after the election. Um, if a Republican comes in, uh, comes into power, um, it also depends on, you know, who takes over Congress. Um, if you have a split house, then, you know, arguably there, there's no major correlation to a, a market direction. Um, what we have been doing, um, and, and we've communicated this to, to clients, is that, you know, we have been letting cash build in our portfolio because if, if Trump does win— um, you know, he is certainly, he's a wild card um, in terms of, you know, the market doesn't like uncertainty, and there is some uncertainty about his policies. And I think we have a phone call
3: right Yeah, now. we have another caller. So why don't we hold that thought? We're going to go to the phone lines. We have Carol in and Boston and Spot. Carol, how are you this afternoon?
5: Oh, I'm well, thanks. How are you all?
3: We're doing great.
5: Good. I was just listening to your program, and I have, I'm 64. I had a movie I took out all about, Six, I think it's about six or seven years now it was at 17 and now it's at 24. Um, they said when I'm 65 I can take out a little bit at a time and I'm just wondering should I do that or is there a way to you know make make more of this or and, and is that a good return from like 17 to I think like 24 or 25 now thousand.
3: It's a good question. Yeah, you obviously have a lot of options. I mean, in terms of the growth there, you know, over the last, you know, 7 years, you know, depending on when you got into it. So, you know, the market's bottomed out in March of 09. It so when you look at the S&P in that time frame, uh, growth has been pretty tremendous. Um, mm-hmm. Now, depending on, you know, the type of annuity you're in, you know, maybe it's it's not as growth oriented. And so you know, obviously, depending on whatever your investment allocation is, that's going to affect, um, you know, whatever that number is. So uh, over time, it's it's not a horrible return, but, you know, without knowing the, the ins and outs of the annuity, hard to say exactly how it's done. Um, in terms of strategy for taking it, I mean— Obviously, there's there's a number, number of strategies you can take. It really comes down to, you know, when I'm having conversations with clients is what your cash flow needs and and where are you at in terms of, of taking that money, you know. Even if you're taking it um, not as one lump sum, but over time, I think we talked earlier in that phone call about the annuity of taking it as a lump sum and what's going to be taxed. You know, if you take it as a, as a payment over time and annuitize it and, you know, get it in whether yearly installments, whatever it may be. Only a prorated portion of that will actually be taxable, but, you know, it really comes down to what is your, you know, what's your cash flow needs at this point? Um, you know, are you being supplemented from Social Security? From, yeah, I am for, now. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, yeah. and and your time horizon, right? So if it's something where you don't need the additional cash flow, if you leave it invested, you know, in, in theory, it should continue to com- compound um, now, what we don't know is, you know, just the annuity offer and any guarantees, um, you know, where it'll just pay you a guaranteed income stream for life. Um, you know, what, what happens with that is then, then you give up the flexibility of having access to that money, but then, you, you know, it's, it's like another form of Social Security for you. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, there are some annuities out there that are very good. There are some, you know, that we've, we've spoke about here on the program that, you know, that, that we just don't like because they tend to have higher fees and, and, and limit the, the growth potential. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's really we look at it on a situation-by-situation situation basis. And if you need the additional cash flow, um, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a nice feature that, that, that you may have in, in, in this specific investment.
5: Okay. And, I, you know, I'm not too clear. Like higher fees, how do you know um, what your higher fees are? I mean, per month, that person that I got it from, do they just take a certain amount? Every month, because my understanding is, when I was when I'm 65, I can take out 100, you know, a month out of it to live off if I want, to, or mm-hmm. or the lump sum. But I think it will be taxed. But um, you know, I'm more concerned about the higher fees that are taken out, and how do I know that?
2: Um, well, that the fees will be stated in, in the prospectus. So you should have you should be receiving a prospectus once a year. On the yeah. specific annuity that you're invested in, so annuities will typically have, um, you know, two layers, maybe three layers of fees. You know, the underlying funds that you're invested in within the annuity, um, they're going to have a, a, an expense ratio. Um, then, uh, you know, annuities will, will typically charge what's called uh, an M and E expense, um, but that's basically their their top line uh, top line fee. Um, if you add in any additional benefits uh, like guaranteed income riders, um, anything like that, those usually come with with additional costs. So you know, on the high end, from what we've seen in reviews, is the, the, the higher fee annuities typically range from two and a half to three percent. Um, you know, I know that there's annuities out there. Um, you know, Fidelity, um, I think even Schwab, um, they have uh, annuities where the all-in fees are are, are less than one percent. Um, so, you know, much in the same way of the, the open-end mutual fund universe, uh, you're going to see difference in fees depending on, on the type of fund or strategy you're invested in. It's the same thing with the annuities. But usually the, the higher end is going to be in the upper 2% to, to 3% range, and, and the prospectus uh, should lay that out for you. And But, but, you, but you need to know what you, what you ultimately signed up for if you did add additional benefits uh, to the annuity. No, there
5: was just like a death benefit to a beneficiary, that's all. Okay. Yeah, that's all that was. So, okay, I guess you answered my question, and I learned something new. So, thank you very much. You're Appreciate welcome. Bye bye.
3: Thanks for the call. And so, we've got about five minutes left. If there's any other listeners out there with questions, you can get us with the last few minutes of the show one eight hundred talk WGY. That's one 5949 And you know, to the annuities, we we don't sell any annuities. Um, you know, sometimes they work for for the right situation or the right investor. You know, we typically don't believe in them for a few reasons, you know, costs and fees. You're restricted in terms of your access to the money, you know, whether it's locked up because of the withdrawal charge and those first, as Frank talked about earlier, you know, six, seven, eight years, there may be a fee of, of taking your money out of there. And so we like to have our clients' assets be liquid in terms of what their investments are, what the vehicles are, so that if anything were to come up, you know, you you plan for maybe needing that money long term, but you always know that that plans can change awfully quick. And so if you need that money sooner than you than you first expected. We like to have that access without being penalized or any additional fees fees tied up. And you know, with, with annuities, they come in a lot of flavors. Uh, oftentimes, very complex, given you know, fifty to a hundred page contracts and prospectuses. So, uh, we like to simplify it a little bit. But right, um, and I think you know that's going to be a good transition. We we talked a little bit about we were talking about the elections and and what we're doing to the portfolios. And Frank alluded to the fact that. We're letting some cash build because even though we don't think necessarily that, you know, uh, Democratic or Republican uh, president is going to make a huge impact on the. We do know that uncertainty can cause short term volatility. And so we are in a very uncertain election cycle. You know, even a week ago, it looked like Hillary was doing a lot better. But I just saw some polls come out today that um, they're getting closer, even though, you know, Trump is still still. Behind, but it's it's getting a little closer. So, as long as he stays in this race, I think that's really what what the unknown is, and that's what the market doesn't like is uncertainty. So you kind of know, I think, what you're getting with Hillary. You really don't know what you're going to get with Donald Trump, and so as he keeps, there could be the potential for for some volatility. And so that's the reason why we're raising a little cash. Um, We're not selling anything right now, but we're just raising it through interest and dividends and as it accumulates so that if we do see some volatility, we're going to look for some opportunities. So we have a couple minutes left. We have Barbara from Clifton Park on the line. Barbara, are you there?
4: Yes, I'm here. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for calling.
4: Okay. So I just heard some of the stuff you said on reality, which I'm glad. That was very timely for me. I have some money that I need to... Do something with. Besides, put it in a CD which has no interest rate. Um, and I talked to a bank and certified financial planner. Certified financial planner wants me to get into an annuity. A very smart person who advised me before said no annuities. Talked to stack, my stack broker. He said no annuity.
3: So you're breaking out a little bit, but you know we only have a, a under two minutes left. So why don't we we'll try to talk about it real quick. Hopefully, where, touch upon some of where the would po- we,
4: Yeah, where would be the best place to put money? Short term growth,
3: or um, are, are you are you thinking? Will you need this money in in a short term? You know, within a year or two. So I, I think Barbara, we might have lost you, Barbara. But we'll talk about it real quick. So, and if you have a question, give us a call in our office next week. We'll we'll be available seven two zero three 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 seven two zero three 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 three, and and hopefully we can help answer your questions. But you know, when it comes to what to do with with assets that you have, you know, you can make an argument for a number of different. You know, someone who's selling an annuity can make the argument put it into annuity, and it could sound great. But it really comes down to what do you need this money for? What's your time horizon? um, How does it fit into your overall plan? You know, we structure, if if we have clients coming in, we structure their assets into our risk-based portfolios. And we do that having an extensive talk with them, knowing what their goals are for this money, what the time horizon is. And anyone with with an under two-year time horizon of needing money, whether it's an RMD, distributions for anything, we put in an ultra-conservative holding so that, you know, you don't put that risk, um, that at those assets at risk for, you know, a steep decline in the markets or whatever may happen. Because, you know, no one has a crystal ball. You never know when a correction is going to happen or, you know, you're going to have some short-term volatility. So we appreciate the call. But give us a call at the office, 720-3333. With that, Frank, it was a great show. I can't believe it's over already. Yeah, that went by very fast. Tune in next week. Thank you.